Hello everyone and welcome to the second season of the History of Modern Greece, where we cover the subject of the fall of Constantinople to the modern day. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George. Hi, my name's George. And our music is brought to you by Mark Youngerman. This is Season 2, Episode 72, Turkic Origin Stories, The Fall of the Gok Turk Empire. In our last episode, the Gok Turk Kogan, a man named Buman, died, leaving the eastern half of the empire to his son and the western half of the empire to his brother, a man named Istemi. In 553 CE, Estemi began his campaigns in the west to seek out the independent Turkic tribes living in the steppeland and bring them under the yoke of the Gok Turk Empire. Estemi conquered all the way to Central Asia in Sogdia, and this is the land where Alexander the Great had made it to and was the center of the Silk Road trading network. It was common to find traders from Persia, Byzantium, and China, all within the same city walls of Bukhara. Istemi rolled over the northern grasslands with ease, taking the borders of the Gokturk Empire from Uzbekistan all the way across the top of the Caspian Sea to the borders of the Sea of Azov. This is the edge of old Great Bulgaria. This is where we get our first Byzantine sources referring to the Gok Turks. But because the Romans called all steppe tribes Scythians, it has been distorted over time. In Constantinople, a tribe of steppe people came to the capital of the Roman Empire and sought refuge within it. They said they were being driven from their land by an invading army so great that they would be slaughtered if they stayed in the steppe land. They asked Emperor Leo I for help. They had been driven from their homeland on the north of the Black Sea by a tribe that had been pushed into their land by an even greater army that was unstoppable. The Rurin knights who were defeated by Bumin mostly fled to China. But some of them fled west and mingled with a tribe of Avars. This is highly contested, as there are such few written accounts of this. But it is presumed that the Rurins took leadership over the Avars and fled into the current land of the Ukraine. The reason it is suggested that these Avars were led by the Rurins is based on the letter they sent to the Byzantine Empire by Estemi himself. The Avars who found refuge in this realm once ruled us as their slaves. But now they are neither birds that can fly, nor fish that can hide in the depths of the sea. Now they are our slaves. They will not escape our Turkish swords. But the Turkish invasion west stalled here, and the focus of Estemi returned to Sogdia in Central Asia. Up until this point, the Gok Turk conquests had been alarming to China, Persia, and the Roman Empire but so far had minor consequences. Now, with the threat of a Gok Turk conquest of the most important trading hub of Sogdia, the entire Silk Road came under Turkic threat. 
In 554, the Eastern Gok Turks turned their attention from the Chinese border to the northern frontier, in the region of Mongolia. There was a small remnant of the Rurin clan hiding in the deserts. With the full might of the Turkic warriors, they rode north and crushed all of the Rurins seeking refuge. Their families and nobles were all killed, and their people were absorbed into the cognate. By this time, the Gok Turk Empire was twice the size of the Asian Huns and Shanu Empire. Sogdians realized the power of the Gok Turk Empire and moved into the cognate, bringing with them their trading expertise. The Sogdians were known for speaking the languages of the empires along the Silk Road, as well as understanding their different customs, and so the Sogdians became administrators and intermediates between the Chinese and the Turks. The stability of the Gokturk Empire allowed for merchants and trades to flourish. At this point, the illiterate Gokturks adopted the written language of the Sogdians kind of like the Greeks adopting the Phoenician alphabet. This is the origin of the old Turkic written language. Around this time, the Wei dynasty of northern China, which had been friendly to the Gok Turks and even married one of their princesses to the Khan, collapsed. The Wei dynasty was overthrown by the high-ranking general who served under the emperor. Unfortunately, he wasn't that successful at maintaining his new dynasty and died only a couple of years after seizing power. And a new dynasty replaced the usurper general. The new dynasty of the northwestern Chinese state took on a more aggressive approach to their Qi neighbors to the east. Instead of maintaining the balance of power, the new dynasty decided to invade its Chinese neighbors with the help of the Gok Turks. Here is a fun fact for you listeners. It is the 560s CE. And in the far west, the Byzantine Roman Empire was at its height. And in the north, the Gok Turks were at their height. And in the south, the Sassanids were at their height. And in the east, the Chinese were not united, but there was a form of stability. Trade between the empires was secured, and everything was stable and goods were flowing back and forth. There was a form of peace and stability across the Eurasian continent. But this was all going to come crashing to an end, and it started in Central Asia with the Western Gokturk Empire. They had been positioning themselves against the Sogdian capital of Bukhara. The Turks invaded and they fought for seven days against the Huns who defended the great trading city. But on the eighth day the Huns were defeated, and the Turks took control of the important trading city of Central Asia. We mentioned earlier that the Turks had been secretly meeting with the Sassanids to the south. During the Battle of Bukhara, the Turks attacked the White Huns from the north, and the Sassanid Persians attacked from the south. The White Huns were completely annihilated, and the city of Bukhara fell under Turkic control. Sogdia was no longer an independent region in Central Asia. The Persian Sassanids and the Gokturks 
were now in control of the region. The surviving white Huns fled to the mountains of modern-day Afghanistan. Eventually, the Huns were allowed to join the ranks of the Gok Turk Empire. What resulted was a total victory for the Turks. But the Persians were left with nothing. They had lost control and access to the rich Sogdian region. In modern times, this land is known as Turkmenistan, or the land of the Turks. One aspect of the Gok Turk Empire that is most fascinating is the preservation of the wealthy trading cities along the Silk Road. They didn't raid and pillage the cities they conquered, but instead kept them running and even administered some of them directly. Their goal was to control the Silk Road, not destroy it. We leave the Western Turkic Empire with the Persians and the Turks sharing a border for the first time in history. Back in the East, things were just getting started. The Northwestern Chinese dynasty had made an agreement with the Turks to invade the Northern Qi dynasty. And just so you know, at this moment in time, China is fractured. And there are two empires in the north that share a border with the Turks. And they both hated each other. The northern Qi Great Wall was only constructed along the northern border and left the entire border between their Chinese neighbors to the west unfortified. And this is the route the Turks took to invade the northern Chinese dynasty. This is kind of reminiscent of the Maginot Line constructed by the French after World War I. It was the most militarized border on the planet, but the Germans never crossed that way. Instead, they invaded France through Belgium. Well, this is sort of the same thing. The Turks swept through northwestern China and invaded the Qi dynasty from the side. The Turks, along with their Chinese allies, attacked and besieged the two great cities of the northern Qi dynasty. The Qi were forced to split their forces in two, with one half marching north and the other half marching south. The general in charge of defending one of the cities saw the massive size of the Gok Turk army and fled the battlefield. It wasn't until later that he was convinced to go back and defend his homeland, and for two years the city became a bloody field of death. Fighting continued year after year, with the city barely holding on. Thousands upon thousands of soldiers were killed on the fields. The corpses of horses and men littered the ground, with some of them decaying over the years into skeletons, while fresh bodies piled up on top of them. However, in the third year of the campaign, the northern Qi dynasty gained the initiative and drove the Gok Turks out of the Qi Empire and back into the northwestern Chinese Empire. The Gok Turks retreated and somehow managed to do so without suffering many casualties. Now the northwestern Chinese were not satisfied with this outcome and launched a second raid into the Qi dynasty. Although this time they were quickly repelled, although they were not defeated in battle. They were just pushed out. The Qi dynasty was secured. But their enemy greatly outnumbered them across the battlefield. 
it seemed that nothing was won in this campaign. Back in the West, tensions were rising in Sardinia. The Persians were a major powerhouse in the Middle East, and until now they had a lot of control over the Silk Road. But now that the Turks controlled the city of Bukhara, things didn't look so good for the Persians. It seemed as though the Turks were looking to establish trading ties with the Byzantine Roman Empire, which would create a single channel between the Romans and the Chinese, a road controlled entirely by the Gok Turk Empire. Khosrow, the king of kings in Persia, felt like it was only a matter of time before the Turks invaded. And so, the meeting was held on the border between the two empires, Khosrow and Istemi, the king of the Persians and the Khan of the Turks. The two leaders met face to face, and negotiations saw part of the White Hun territory in Afghanistan handed over to the Persians. And in exchange, the Persians gave up all claims to Sogdinia. And to solidify this agreement, the daughter of Istemi was married to King Khosrow. The grandchild of this marriage would be the same Khosrow who would go to war with the Byzantine Empire in the epic war of the early 600s. For now, there was peaceful coexistence between the Turks and the Persians. The Turks controlled the steppe, and from there they could theoretically connect with the Byzantine Empire via the northern route above the Caspian and the Black Sea and down into the Roman Empire. This was the Gok Turk plan all along. The only problem was the greater distance, the harsher climate, and the lack of roads. The Silk Road through Persia was long established with efficient roads and warmer climates and more cities to stop and resupply. Before the Turks came on the scene, the Sogdians had traveled through Persia on many occasions and knew the route, they knew the languages, and they knew the whole system of trade. They asked Istemi for permission to travel through Persia instead of taking the long northern route through safe and secure Gokturk steppe lands. Istemi was reluctant, but ultimately agreed to send an envoy of Sogdian traders through Persia where they stopped at the capital of the Sassanid Persian Empire, the great city of Tessaphon. When the Sogdian merchants arrived in the capital, the Persian king took all of the gifts from the Turks and brought them outside into the streets, where they threw them all into a pile and set the entire thing on fire. It was a slap in the face to the Gokturk cognate. But Estemi wasn't going to let this one incident ruin his trading relations with the Persians. So a second envoy of Sogdians was sent through the Persian Empire, where they met the King of Kings in Tessaphon. This time it went much worse, because not only were the gifts destroyed, but the Sogdians were poisoned to death. That was it. No more Persia. The Sogdians decided it was time to try the more dangerous path to the north, by crossing through the steppe lands, and then venturing through old great Bulgaria, and crossing into Byzantium from the north but this meant crossing the Volga River. The goal of this mission wasn't just to establish trade, but to propose a military alliance with the Byzantine Empire. Ah, I think things are cooking. In 568 CE, 
The Sogdians traveled through the steppes and made contact with the Roman emperor in Constantinople. The Sogdians met with Justin II, son of Justinian the Great. The goal of the Sogdians was to establish an alliance, which would benefit both empires through trade. But to the surprise of the Sogdians, the Byzantine Empire was producing its own silk. Somehow these Greeks had managed to obtain their own silkworms over a decade before. Nevertheless, the goal was the same. Establish a military alliance between the Gokturk Empire and the Roman Empire. A deal was struck, and the following year a Roman envoy was sent across the Black Sea, where they traveled on horseback through the steppe and met face to face with Khan Estemi. The Romans met the Turkic Khan and claim he sat on top of a golden throne with two wheels that could be pulled by horses. It took several meetings, but a treaty was signed. If one of the powers was attacked, then both would respond with military action. It was a medieval NATO, so to speak. The Romans were surprised by several things within the Gokturk Cognate. Not just its immense wealth and power, but also their social structures. They were shocked to see women in such esteemed roles. Women were given high offices, and Turkic men had single wives. They had not seen such a thing before. Women rode horses and carried bows. They fought in the armies, traded with the men, and ruled in the courts. Back in the east... The Gokturks were faced with a new dynasty in northwestern China, now known as the Zhao Dynasty. It was the same kingdom that they had once formed an alliance with through marriage. Only now that there was a new dynasty, there was need for a new marriage alliance. Another Turkic princess was escorted into the Zhao dynasty, where the Zhao emperor married the Turkic princess and made her into a Chinese empress. The sources say that she was very beautiful and very well-mannered and well-kept. At first she wasn't treated with the respect she deserved, but after the intervention of the old empress, who was also descended from the Turks, Emperor Zhao agreed to elevate the new Turkic princess to the highest title. She became known as the Ashina Empress, named after the Ashina tribe. The funny thing is that Emperor Zhu died, and the Ashina Empress became a widow. But the next successor honored the Ashina Empress and kept her in the court. And this happened again when the next emperor died. Soon after, the Zhao dynasty was overthrown by the Sui dynasty. The Sui dynasty had conquered all the different kingdoms within China, uniting them for the first time in centuries. The last time China was unified was the Jin dynasty in 420 CE. The first thing they did was hunt down all the nobles from the Zhao dynasty and execute Every last one of them. While the imperial soldiers went through the palace, plunging their swords into the bellies of the Zhao noble family, women and children included, they left Empress Ashina unharmed. 
In fact, they honored her and kept her in her place at the court. Even with a unified China, the new regime knew that they needed to treat this Turkic empress with respect or risk the wrath of the entire Gok Turk Empire. In 572, the Khan of the Gok Turk Empire died, and a new Khan came to power. His name was Tasper, and he was the third son of Bumin, the first Khan of the Empire. At this point in time, the Khaganate was over 6 million square kilometers. In the late 570s, a Chinese monk traveled into the Khaganate and met with Khan Tasper. There he spoke of the philosophy and ideology of a man named Buddha. This conversation led to the conversion of Khan Tasper from Tengriism to Buddhism. Khan Tasper even erected a shrine to Buddha in his capital. And this is just one example of many where a Turkic leader converted to the local religion. This conversion isn't a betrayal of Tangriism, for one can be a follower of Tangri and still believe in other religions. But it is a very interesting event that will happen again and again throughout this Turkic origin miniseries. While Khan Tasper converted to Buddhism and fell in love with the rich Chinese culture, no one else in his noble family followed suit. The rest of the Ashina tribe maintained their loyalty to Tengri and the Turkic culture. But the rest of the Turks were suspicious that their leader was turning his back on them and their ancestors in favor of the religion of their adversaries. In 581, Tasper died, and the position of Khan was left vacant. But not too long before, Istemi in the west had also died. The Gokturk Empire was the largest empire in the land, and now they were leaderless. The Ashina nobles from all over the cognate returned to the capital where a new Khan would be chosen. This is a story not unlike that of Alexander's Diadochi. The empire was larger than ever before, and now the ruler was dead, and no clear line of succession was agreed upon. The dispute was between several sons of the previous lesser Khans, and one man who was chosen by Khan Taspar himself to be his replacement. Everyone in the tent agreed that Taspar's dying wish could not be granted, as it was not his right to choose his own successor. The one guy most people agreed with was not 100% pure-blood Turk, as his mother was a concubine of non-Turkic lineage, so no one agreed. A Kogan was chosen reluctantly, and no one was really happy with it. In less than a year, the other generals rebelled, and the full-scale civil war erupted in the Gokturk Cognate. The Gokturk Empire had made many enemies on all corners of the map, and now that they were weak, they were willing to help in any way they could to destroy the cognate. The Sui dynasty in China sent spies into the cognate to sow dissent among the generals and stir up political trouble. At this point, the Gokturk Empire was officially split into two parts. The Eastern Turkic Empire was ruled by three rival princes, 
and the Western Turkic Empire was ruled by a single Khan. In the West, a diplomatic mission from Constantinople was sent to the Khan to reassure the peaceful treaty signed by their predecessors. If cool heads had prevailed, this would have come and gone without any trouble. But the Khan of the Western Turkish Cognate was hot-headed. He scolded the Romans for not handing over the Avars who were seeking refuge near the empire. He was still bent on getting his ancestral revenge. Any diplomatic relations with the Roman Empire ceased to exist beyond this point. A Turkic tribe that wasn't part of the Gokturk cognate invaded the Crimea and attacked a Roman city. And when news made it to the Khan, he ordered his men to join in the fighting. And so the Gokturks invaded the empire and took control over the entire Crimean peninsula. Wow. In the east, the leader of the Eastern Gokturk Empire launched an invasion of China against the United Sui Dynasty. All this was done during the civil infighting, which has not yet become a full-scale civil war. With the combined forces of the Western and Eastern Cognate, the Turks swept through northern China, taking a large strip of land right off the top of the Chinese Empire. This was the farthest the Gok Turks had ever made into China before now. They were on the brink of capturing the entire northern territories of China. When bad news made it to the commanders, a rebellion had broken out in Central Asia, and Turkic tribes were fighting to break away from the empire. A large part of the invading army was turned around and rode back to crush the rebelling tribes, but this left the Chinese invasion without proper soldiers and support. In 583 CE, the United Sui Dynasty organized an army made up of soldiers from all over China. They rode north and hit the Turks so hard and so fast that they crippled the Turkic army and forced them right out of China. To make matters worse, the plague, or a plague, not sure if it's Justinian's plague, broke out among the retreating Turkic soldiers, and thousands of them perished on their long retreat out of China. Once they made it safely back to their land, the soldiers suffered from an all-time low morale. They were defeated in battle. Their empire had fractured, and thousands had died from the plague. The Chinese spies that had infiltrated the Turkic army then went to work. The commanders of the Khaganate were poisoned with words against each other. And during the return home, one general attacked another general and triggered a full-scale civil war. The civil war lasted for nearly 20 years and resulted in the complete breakdown of the Khaganate. When one general finally took control over the east, the Chinese spies in his ranks convinced him to invade China only to march across the great lands, exhausting his troops and finding the water holes were poisoned. The entire army was lost before they fought a single battle against the Chinese. In 601, the Turkic Civil War was over, and there was only one Ashina prince left. 
His last move on the earth was to launch an invasion through Central Asia and attack the Persian Empire. The Turkic army attacked the Persian cities in Bactria, which is modern-day Afghanistan. At first, the Gok Turks were successful and claimed the entire province of Bactria. But then they marched on the rest of the Persian Empire and were quickly met with a very strong military counteroffensive. The Sassanid Persian army chased the Turks out of the area, and as they were pursuing him, the Persian commander personally fired an arrow that struck the prince, killing him on his horse. The rest of the Turks were pushed back as far as Bukhara, and the Persians took control of the prized region of Sogdiana, adding it to the Sassanid Empire. The funny thing is, at this time in the Persian-Sassanian Empire, a civil war broke out, and the new king of kings was forced out of the old regime. The man who led the Persian counteroffensive against the Turks was now on the run. Where do you think it was he sought refuge? That's right, the Gokturk Khaganate. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. To make things even stranger, the Persian commander was welcomed with open arms, and he even joined the army. In fact, the Persian commander became a loyal commander of the eastern Gokturk Khaganate. But this was not to be tolerated by the Persian king of kings, and he sent a spy into the eastern Khaganate to poison the traitor general. At this point in time, the Gokturk Khaganate was in shambles. They had lost control over the rich cities of the Silk Road. The Khaganate was splintered into two, and what remained was a disorganized mess of internal strife and fighting. So, is this the end of the Gokturk Empire? No, no it's not. For 30 more years, the two Gokturk Khaganates remained intact, although they were no longer the unified threat to their neighbors. In the year 618, a young Turkic warrior, descended from the Ashina tribe, united the western Turkic cognate. If you remember from our episode in Season 1, we discussed the Great Roman-Persian or Byzantine-Sassanid War. At this point in the story, the war had been raging for 20 years. At the request of the Roman Emperor Heraclius, the young Turkic Khan led his soldiers through the Caucasus. The Roman sources called these men Khazarians, but they were in fact the men of the western Gok Turk Empire. While the Romans fought the Persians from the west, the Turks attacked from the north. After the fighting, the two warring parties, Turk and Roman, met in the battle camp, where they greeted each other in person and exchanged gifts. After two months of fighting, the Turks returned to their land beyond the mountains, and the Roman Empire, with newfound strength, pursued the Persians into their homeland, making it as far as the city of Nineveh. Hearing just how well the Romans were doing, the Turks decided to travel across the mountains one more time, and push further into the empire. They sacked two Persian cities and managed to take all of Armenia for themselves. It seemed as though they were about to add all of Armenia to the western Gokturk Empire. The Persians were on retreat, and the war seemed very close to ending. 
But then suddenly, just like that, the Turks turned around and retreated through the Caucasus. The new leader of the Gok Turks was dead, assassinated by his nephew. All Turkic cohesion crumbled afterward, and the Western Turkic cognate was no more. There was still one great colony left over in the Gok Turk Empire, but he was all the way across the Eurasian continent in the borderlands north of China. In 620 CE, a new Khan rose to power in the eastern Gok Turk Empire. At this point, they had been paying tribute to the Sui dynasty for decades. Now, the Sui dynasty had reunited the Chinese Empire and was bent on expanding. They took land from the Gok Turks and forced them to pay tribute, and now they were focusing their attention on the Koreans. Unfortunately for them, that invasion did not go too well. And the Sui dynasty was defeated, and what resulted was a series of civil wars that fractured the Chinese Empire. Khan Illig of the Gok Turks seized the moment, allied himself with the Koreans, and then went on the offensive against the Sui dynasty. For the next five years, he gradually pushed his soldiers further and further into China. The Sui dynasty then came to a crashing end. A new emperor seized control of the Chinese imperial throne, a man named Tang. The Tang dynasty was only a few weeks old when they came face to face with the Gok Turk army, but now was not the time for fighting. The Chinese offered a large tribute to the Turks to appease them, and the Turks happily left the region with their new bounty. This proved to be a huge mistake for the Turks. Only a few months later, a dispute erupted in the court of Khan Illig, and the troublemakers fled to China, where they were welcomed by the new Tang dynasty. The vassals under Khan Illig took the opportunity to revolt against him, and they broke away into independent tribes. To make it even worse, a tribe of Mongols had their own internal disputes, and these tribes also fled to China for safety, and quickly joined the ranks of the new Tang dynasty. With his massive Chinese army, accompanied by all the steppe warriors who fled the Khaganate, the Tang dynasty launched a full-scale invasion of the eastern Gok Turk Empire. It took several years but the entire Turkic cognate was destroyed. Their soldiers captured or converted or scattered. Khan Illig himself was captured by the Chinese and brought back to the imperial court in China. Apparently, he wasn't tortured or executed, but was treated with dignity and respect. But this was not the end of the Tang dynasty's war against the Turks. In fact, it was just the beginning. The Chinese emperor... Taizong went down in history as one of the greatest emperors in all of Chinese history. He took the title of Tangri Khan, which meant something along the lines of God of Heaven. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on the history of modern Greece. Stay safe and stay awesome. Stay awesome.